What is it about the weather? Hello, I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and I want to welcome you back to the latest episode where we're going to dig into the idea of weather that changed the course of history, and specifically the D-Day example. However, before we dive in the main topic, let's touch a little bit about news since the last time we spoke. Um, certainly, the theme of the last couple of weeks has probably been lightning, although um, some late-season snows in uh, different parts of uh, the U.S. caught the headlines for a few days, and, and an even an interesting tornado picture with two kids headed off to their, their prom dance um, with a tornado approaching in the background. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, it's quite interesting. But as I mentioned, lightning has been kind of a recurring theme in the news. I know tens of people died uh, in one day from outbreaks in uh, Bangladesh. New Zealand had uh, a major 30,000 lightning hits over the course of a storm that passed through one day. And another visual reminder of the sheer power of lightning uh, is a uh, image that's been making the rounds the last few days of a hit on a golf course and where the lightning kind of spread out once it hit the ground. It's just a, you know, gives you a reminder of how uh, powerful lightning can be. And I've been able to share a few pics as well for those that follow me on Twitter and, and uh, Instagram. You've seen a few storms rolling through Atlanta where I've been able to get a couple of snapshots, or actually for that matter on the YouTube channel as well, a couple of short videos. So if you like seeing uh, images of, of weather, um, certainly catch up with me that way. Um, and I will try to, whether it's my own or an opportunity to share ones that I see, uh, provide, continue to try to provide that to you as well. So let's let's dive into this main topic, and it's a bit tricky. As I mentioned, I, I want to be able to talk about history and weather, but I don't want to just do it in a general context of, you know, this was an interesting historical weather event. I think there's a lot of history-related um, podcasts or media, different media outlets out there where you can gather that kind of information, and it could become its own show, and I, and I really don't want to get that concentrated on that. But the idea of did a specific weather event, um, did it have such an impact that we're living in a different future today? Um, or did it have the potential, at least, for that kind of setup, that, that it drove a different outcome, um, that all of us are living in a, in a realm now that was likely influenced by uh, something of that magnitude? And so it'll be a theme that we come back to from time to time, but the first one is one that's kind of well-known, um, but given the scale of it, I, I thought it was a good place to start, and that is um, the D-Day invasion in World War II. Now, uh, as you probably remember from a past episode, this was sent in by one of our listeners, Jack, and I appreciate, again, those who are sending me show topics. And it it's a good starting point because there's a lot of reference material for me to go to. So you'll find good show note links um, where you can dive into this a little more. I mean, there's been a book written about this, essentially this weather forecast and the people behind it. Um, and certainly plenty of articles as well. And you see them pop up around this time of year. You know, June 6th is the uh, anniversary of D-Day. So you will find um, articles tend to make the rounds this time of year. And a lot of times when something new is being reported on the weather front, you'll find that weather angle exposed a little bit more. But let's kind of set up the scenario of where 
the history, where history was at that point, and then delve into the weather component of it. So World War II at that point, you know, we're multiple years in. Um, it really is a global war going on at that point. And the Allied powers had had some successes, um, particularly in Italy, um, in North Africa. And uh, the challenge still was, though, that the, the major portion of the war with Germany, um, Germany still held the edge. Now, they were struggling a little bit in their Eastern Front campaign against Russia. But the belief was maybe at some point that either they would have a breakthrough there uh, in the near future or reach a point where they could draw a line in the sand um, that would be for, you know, let's say at a river point where they could solidify their position enough to free up resources to come back to the West and be better positioned should the Allies want to make an invasion in France. Because despite the successes in Italy, there was no way the Allies were going to be able to move from a position in Italy north into to Germany, just given the, the terrain of the area. There was also the advances in German technology, the V-2 rocket, and even the belief that Germany might develop uh, the atomic bomb. You know, All these were coming into play and could have led into a very different outcome if, let's say, another year went by. So whether it was you know, a change in the battle with Russia, whether it was the German technologies, um, you know, the, the real belief was that if the invasion did not go forward around the time it took place, um, that the outcome of World War II would have been very different. And that certainly is uh, a major difference. It would have led to a major difference in how we live today. Um, there's no doubt about that. So let's talk about the weather angle a little bit. As you know, really what needed to happen was the Allies needed some way to get on to French soil and develop, develop a beachhead to where they could bring supplies in to support a campaign to, to move against Germany coming from the West. Now, the challenge with that is getting and creating a landing point. It's not easy, let's say, to take over a harbor that already exists, but the, the general weather conditions in the English Channel, which is where you know any strike would come from, would be coming from England over towards France, is quite often it's just horrible, or, or you can't count on it from day to day. Um, and it has always been a forecasting challenge, and, that, and even in this day and age where we are certainly much more advanced than they were at that, po that point in time, um, it can be difficult to forecast because it can change very, very quickly with the way weather can move with great speed through that region. So let's talk a little bit about what they needed and where they were coming from. So ideally, they needed a full moon. They needed low tide moving towards high tide. So, you know, near low tide, but not the going towards low tide, but going towards high. A few clouds, light winds, and low seas. And again, getting all these things together in that region can be very difficult to combine them. And it usually, the conditions don't last very long. That's the other thing to keep in mind. They're so rapidly changing um, that, you know, you only have small windows of opportunity. Now, they had identified May, June, and July as the best chances and the best odds for a successful campaign or even having the right weather. We're still 13 to 1, I think I read uh, in one of the articles, that that was as good as the odds were going to get. But 
the weird thing that happened was actually the weather in May, when the odds aren't weren't as good, um, was better. And it's believed that realistically, had they used enough foresight, that they may have been able to go in May. Um, but interestingly enough, there were other things, whether it's you know certain commanders being back in Berlin versus being in France at the time. The the interesting thing is those things kind of came together in June. So there are these non-weather influences, and this is always going to be the debate, I think, when we get to the end, was was the weather I- itself the major player. But the other thing that was going on, and that, that's kind of interesting with this, is there were three teams developing forecast for D-Day on the Allied side. There was an American team, and they used an approach, what we call the an analog approach, where they look for past events and say, based on the behavior of that past event, this is what the what's going to happen, you know, in the in the days ahead. And they were trying to tout multi-day uh, forecast. There was also two British teams in what is currently known as the Met Office, and also a Navy team. And one of those teams was led by a person who was trained under what we would call, um, you know, the the birthplace or the the people who kind of discovered the idea of weather fronts and really. Um, formalized that that understanding of knowledge and changed how we track weather. And so they were using that system, which was more reliant on um, having readings of of pressure and uh, different conditions. You you actually needed to have an understanding of the conditions to be able to forecast that way. And it's actually, again, one of the challenges today when you forecast coming from areas that are covered by the ocean. If you don't have something out there to give you the readings, it's hard um, and you can imagine an age before satellites to have that sort of information to have highly accurate forecasts. So they actually had sent um, a boat out into in the storm to get readings um, that would help in terms of filling the gap between what was gotten, let's say, from Iceland and, and the weather stations there, which is the last kind of land step um, before it reached the British Isles. Now, again, these three teams, um, all competing, all leading different forecasts, and the Americans had proposed that the invasion, which originally, you know, the, when it got close, it was going to be somewhere, they talked about doing it on the 4th uh, of, of June and into the 5th, and the Americans were, you know, let's, let's do this on the 5th, the 5th will work out. Um, the British, the two British teams voted against it, and... Uh, in the end of the day, there was one meteorologist whose last name is Stagg, and he was the one who was advising General Eisenhower, and he had to take all this information that these three teams were preparing, and these three teams were rivals in this process. But the fact that there were multiple agencies, it, that competition probably led to a better forecast decision. And in the end, he suggested that they not do the invasion on the 5th. And understand that doing the invasion on the 5th meant getting started on the 4th um, with getting boats started. You know, these boats, a lot of this, these convoys, they, they were moving at, you know, at best speed at, you know, 15 miles an hour in, in stormy kind of conditions or unsettled weather, you know, 10 miles an hour. And if they had to cover 100-plus miles in some cases, and that was, you know, part of the thing, is the Germans always thought they would pick the closest point, and this certainly was not the closest point. So even though some of the boats had left in getting started with the convoys headed towards France for an invasion on the 5th, they were called back. Um, 
as the decision was made to hold off. And it turned out to be the right decision. The weather on the 5th was bad. Uh, and it, it, it would have resulted probably in a much poorer outcome. And this is, a, you know, this is the tricky part is, would it have been a so bad, an event so bad that it would have resulted in non-success at D-Day? I don't know that we can know that. But what I can tell you is the conditions were certainly a lot worse. Now, for the, the next day, we were looking at the Americans were still gung-ho. And one of the British teams agreed that uh, they could potentially make the, the invasion safely on that day. It, but you've got to keep in mind, one of the reasons you needed the conditions for clear skies was in advance of the, this big landing party, there was also going to be paratrooped infantry and and people coming in via the sky as well as bombing runs in advance to clear the way and support this thing you know you had to capture key bridges or key roads and that that was going to take place as well and some of the the weather in in retrospect was not ideal so the decision was made to go the clouds didn't clear and that did cause some problems so you know what we do know is it the outcome you know, maybe more lives would have been saved, but we know where we are today. And so there there was certainly a room for the weather not to be ideal. But the conditions on the seas, even though they were not particularly good when many of these people got started, and if you've never seen a troop transport, I'll, I'll put a picture of that. I may use a picture of one of those as uh, kind of the tag to go with this event. They're horrible. I, I, I mean, just just imagine, and, and you know, some of you may have taken what we call duck boat tours in the U.S., which are these similar kind of amphibious things that actually these have wheels on them and you drive around, they go in the water. But just imagine being on high seas in, in a boat of any kind that can only go so slow in the smell of diesel fuel, and then somebody throws up and someone else throws up, and, you know, it's just not a real pleasant thing. So despite all that, the seas got clearer, um, and calmer as the day went on, as things got closer to um, the invasion time. And the other good thing about that was is the weather would proceed to be worse after the fact. So the next ideal period for doing the invasion, and it wouldn't have the moon support, which which was considered critical, was two weeks later, and they had one of the worst storms ever, and actually some resupplying that was going on for to these same locations suffered major losses uh, during that storm. So it, it's quite clear that indeed weather could be of a magnitude to influence a poor result or in too much loss of life and resources um, that the event could have very easily failed. So we have at least from a weather standpoint, a knowledge just shortly after that we know probably would have resulted in an outcome where D-Day would have been a failure. And what you got to keep in mind is once you do these things once, you lose the surprise element. And the other interesting piece of this was on the German side, there was only one forecasting group, and they didn't have the experience forecasting in this area. They thought that the weather conditions in early June it was going to be a month before an invasion could be tried. So, again, a lot of key personnel weren't necessarily in the region when this happened because they thought the storms were going to be close enough and, and continual enough to where they weren't going to be able to match up. Because the, the Germans do these same things. You know, there's only so many times you could do it in a period of time 
Um, you know, it's it's not every day that you can aim to go for because you, you need all these combination of elements to come through. So from a weather forecasting standpoint, the competition between the three teams actually probably resulted, in, and I heard it written about in this way, it, they created the equivalent of what we call ensemble forecasting today, and you guys have heard me talk about this with probabilities um, previously. And while it's not exactly the same, I do believe that the competition created an opportunity for a better outcome, and we, you know, we see that all the time in real life, that competition uh, stirs creativity and it stirs more dedication to the details and, and more commitment to that. So it is believed that the three teams um, actually competing somewhat with one another uh, probably resulted in a better forecast and picking the right date for it to take place. Now, we know the outcome of what happened. Um, you know, the, the Germans were caught off guard, which turned out to be a good thing. Um, the you know, allies were able to to make the beach hold 150,000 people. I, I just, it's kind of hard for me to fathom coming across in all these boats, 150,000 in one day. I mean, that's what the magnitude of what was going on and, and, and what was believed necessary to create that beach hold. Now, if, you know, now we have to look at it and say, if this hadn't happened, so th there's two ways of looking at it. One, if they had tried and failed, who knows when they would have tried again because it probably would have been a high lo loss of life and there was already kind of this big burn with the, the amount of people that were being killed and, and lives that have been lost in World War One as well, um, that the invasion may have never happened. And certainly, again, that would have led to a different outcome. And who knows? I mean, you know, if, if Germany had been allowed to focus on Russia, um, yeah, again, so many, so many different scenarios of, of what ifs, and I'm not going to get into alternate histories, um, as most of you who know me know, um, and those who don't, I'm, I'm kind of a sci-fi buff, so whether it's the man in the high castle or other things, I, I find alternate histories interesting, um, but there's no doubt that had this invasion not taken place in 1944, we could have very well been living in a different um, future today. Now, how different you don't know because it, you don't know if the, the next year they would have pulled it off and it was just a year delay. But in any case, it, it's uh, it's clear that weather, and I think more specifically, the best forecast, the forecasting of the weather, um, even as challenging as it was back then, and the additional expertise, and, and this is what's intriguing to me, the, the expertise of understanding how to forecast in that region. Um, and, you know, I, I sit in Atlanta, and we, we deal with a thing um, that we call the wedge. And it, the forecasters here hate it because it's one of those little nuances here that can just ruin a good forecast. But their knowledge of that specific event and how it affects the the differences even on one side of Atlanta versus the other um, can be pretty drastic. And uh, we've been dealing that with that the past few days in Atlanta. So, you know, when I, when I watch that and you think about the differences, so the Germans were at a disadvantage and they were making a call based on kind of their general weather knowledge at the time versus having these three teams competing with one another to develop and, and kind of drive the best forecast. And while one method may have been better than the other. I, I think there was enough inherent value in all the techniques that were being used that 
it was the kind of inner workings of multiple people going at it, multiple teams going at it, that drove a better forecast result, which cleared the way for the D-Day invasion. And, you know, the world is as we know it today. So we don't know what would have been, but I definitely think we are where we, we are today uh, in many ways because of what happened and the fact that the invasion took place at that time. So, um, again, th- this topic, it, it's, it's really, there's so much written on it. So if, you, if you're interested in it, um, I'll put a few links that can kind of get you started in the show notes, both just even from a D-Day. I mean, it, it's intriguing to read about. There was something called Operation Sledgehammer, which would have led to an invasion much sooner uh, that was not chosen. But I, I will keep the focus on the weather. But if you just want to learn a little bit more, um, you know, I know we live in a day and age where, I mean, it's just hard to believe that, you know, we're you know, 70 years gone from from D-Day, the D-Day invasion. So a lot of people, um, I know I grew up in an era where at least there were still World War II movies on. And my parents were, you know, were born during World War II, but, um, you know, they were still young kids at the time. But, we're, you know, we're losing people with that firsthand knowledge. So read on, read up on it. Um, if, if you find the topic interesting, I think some of the ones we touch on going forward uh, will be a little trickier because I don't know, while the doc, some of the documentations here, we won't have some of the nuances that we can get um, when we are still able, even in this day and age, to record based on uh, kind of firsthand experiences or well-documented experiences. So I, I guess my call in the end was, you know, to me probably did weather change it sure because weather you know it it dictated when um, the invasion actually took place but I think the more interesting thing is because it was successful and that's the thing it's a little harder when 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 something's successful to decide whether it changed the course of history or not versus when something failed due to weather but I actually think the the more interesting thing is I think the weather forecasters were probably um who I would recognize is they were the ones who were the driving factor here. So not necessarily so much the weather itself, because uh, the weather was good enough, right? But it was the people making the decision based on the weather that led to the outcomes that put us where we are today. So there you have it. Yes, I, I do think weather changed the course of history, but maybe not so much weather itself. All right. Well, there's a heavy topic, and I know I've been rambling for a while. Again, I, I hope uh, hope you enjoyed the idea of, of some of these. And, and, and let me know um, for future ones what you would have liked me to cover more or less uh, in talking about these things. So let's move on. Um, kind of hit you with an interesting tidbit. I, one of these other things that kind of caught my attention this week is it's been 10 years since a major or since a, the U.S. has had a hurricane landfall. And the reason that's been interesting has been the concept of social media. And that's where, you know, this whole conversation has been had this week. Now, in retrospect, I think it's unfair to take um, Hurricane Sandy, which when it made landfall was not a hurricane um, or has been deemed not a hurricane. And, you know, that's still debated by meteorologists today. But aside from that, um, you know, the, the statistic is 
nothing in the last 10 years. And people wonder how social media would influence today. I mean, and, and it is intriguing, you know, how different the outcomes might be um, if we had the tools that we have today with social media. And as I watch things like here in the U.S., the National Weather Service and the offices, um, you know, starting to use social media for communicating with uh, their audience and Seeing how social media might shape the communication channels differently is intriguing, and it, it will be interesting. We do this as we, we're about to kick off the North Atlantic hurricane season, and everyone's expecting there to be a banner year. But as always, all it takes is, is one storm. So whether uh, there's a lot of activity or whether it's just one uh, you know, serious event, it will be intriguing to see how social media and the way we communicate today and are learning to communicate differently will shape, um, hopefully, hopefully saving more people and property should those events take place. So next time um, we're going to, and I mentioned this before, we're going to touch on the weather in enterprise and, and social media is going to play a role. Broadcast meteorology, and it's really kind of interesting, I, I've, I've experienced changing industries, whether it was the PC industries when personal computers went from you know tens of thousands to just a couple of thousand apiece to the dot-com bust um, and the consultancy bust that followed post-2K uh, as well. You know, I, I've seen a lot of changes in industries, but the broadcast meteorology industry is going through quite an upheaval, and part of the challenge that's going on, or I would say actually a major portion of it, is related to social media and the internet in general. Um, so we're going to explore that. It's uh, Again, I've, I've not introduced you guys directly to the weather enterprise yet from a business standpoint, but I think this is a good place to start. And it's a topic which, again, has gotten a lot of conversation recently. Um, and I, I think it's good. I, you know, many of you probably still rely on broadcast meteorologists in some ways, and I certainly know quite a few. And, you know, it's good for you to know the challenges that they're facing and, and what they're dealing with as well. Then we'll probably jump back into probabilities. I know I promised to get back there and talk about why you should want a probabilistic forecast, and we'll be doing that. Now, the next video episode, I think I'm going to hit um, weather and earthquakes. And um, we'll just leave it at that. You can decide whether you think there's a connection there or not or something interesting to talk about. So... With all that in mind, let's um, let's wrap things up here. Now, uh, since since we last talked, um, again, you guys' support has been great, and and I want to just kind of do a call out, and and maybe I'll do this as well from time to time. Throw out things to, um, yeah, whether it's weather related or not, just things that I think might be of interest to you. And there's two people that kind of have been where. You know, I learned about podcasting. Actually, the first one of those um, was a show called The Daily Breakfast. It's now called The Break. And uh, it's recorded by a priest named Father Roderick. And you can find it's fatherroderick.com, I think, is the, is the website. And, and again, uh, take a look at the webpage. I'll put a link there. Um, or his network, SQ, with a PN, for StarQuest Production Network. And... That one, and just so you know, Roderick is spelled R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K. Um, 
you know, you think priest, you think faith, but he's actually kind of a, a sci-fi nut and a geek and a nerd and, and likes all those things as well. So you, you might be surprised on his kind of refreshing take on on things. And it's just a positive, positive and uplifting thing. And that's how I found it to begin with. Yeah, there's a little faith thrown in from time to time. But um, again, fun to follow, fun to listen to his podcast. So, so check that out. And the other one is Tom Merritt uh, with the Daily Tech News Show. So if, if you need, if you like tech at all, or want to be kept up to date, and you really only have one podcast to choose or, or one outlet to choose, the Daily Tech News Show, I think is by far the best that I've seen. And again, it's, it's DTNS or Daily Tech News Show. And the individual's name is Tom Merritt. Again, I'll put his contact information there. But they've both been kind. One of them, um, Tom mentioned uh, the podcast on, on one of his recent episodes. And uh, Father Roderick has certainly mentioned it in uh, Facebook and other places as well. So not only do I think um, what they produce is high quality, but they're both super nice people. Um, and I'm always a fan of supporting. If you have a choice and you want good content and two people are doing it and one's the nice guy, um, I can tell you and in, in attest that both of these guys are, are just super nice folks. So um, thanks again to them for uh, what they've done for the industry and, uh, and and their nice things that they've said recently, um, but as well just for, for being good guys that do good things. So, um, And thank you again, all of you, for the continued growth. Uh, we're, we're doing great. I think I've mentioned previously we're down just to Antarctica. Um, we continue to, to reach new places around the globe. You know, I, I, I will post maybe a map on the website at some point to keep things up to date, but I just kind of enjoy it. It's kind of nice to see. Um, where new people are, are picking up the podcast and listening to us. So uh, let's summarize how to get me um, the website. What is it about the weather.com? That's how you get to us in general. And all the other links are there. So, you know, instead of me reading off a bunch of names and, and Mark Zelanik this and that, just go to the website and you'll find it all there. I will tell you that if you do like pictures of, of weather events or those sort of things, Following me on the individual stuff where it's a little easier to share those things when I, when I have them, um, the Instagram and the, uh, the Facebook and um, Twitter. I am trying to put things there as I come across them. I have done some stuff on the web page, but it's just a little more difficult to you know do it on the fly sort of thing. So um, follow me those other ways. YouTube as well. You'll get some videos there as well, and you'll see that it, we're doing a little bit more there than just the episodes themselves. Um, and as always, you know, I just, in the end, um, your support is what continues to drive what, what we're doing here. And RSVP is the way to do it. Rate us. Um, I saw we had a new rating on iTunes. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, wh wherever you get it, if you have an opportunity to rate the, the, the podcast, please do share. Um, show somebody how to listen to a podcast. Just tell them about it. You know, again, you uh, You'll always be amazed how much more you telling one person to listen than me sending a tweet to 100 people is more likely to have that impact. And, you know, as the old shampoo ad would go, and they'll tell two friends and so on and so on and so on. Validate. Um, continue to give us the feedback. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? Uh, I hope to get the web form up this week so that it makes it a little easier to do it from the website as well. But just pop me an email. It's real simple. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like. 
what else you'd like us to cover, any of those things. Just say hi. I don't care. Um, you know, it's it's always just good to, to know what we're doing is reaching people and that, that you appreciate it and enjoy it. And lastly, Pledge, um, you know, Patreon's there. I, I have gotten to creating a T-shirt, and some of you, again, who follow me will see that um, – the uh, a design is out there. I've got to decide if it's it's going to be something that we try to sell as support. I, I think we might. Um, just so you can, you know, if you're not able to support us um, on Patreon, but you know, you always need another T-shirt or that kind of thing, um, and it's kind of free advertising. Well, you know that that certainly works as well. So again, RSVP. However you do it, please support. But again, thank you for the support already. So until next time. May you have interesting, good, but hopefully safe weather as well. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-word super production.